Hello and welcome to the Diversity Networks podcast. My name is Sam Duffy and along with Kate Wright founded the Diversity Network to promote and enable diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So in the wake of yet more equality and diversity issues hitting the headlines of late, it seemed really relevant that our first podcast would be talking about the gender pay gap and related themes such as the motherhood penalty. I'm delighted to be joined today by Stuart Richford from Catalyst Jersey to talk about his experiences both personally and professionally. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you. Okay, just to set the scene today and provide a cornerstone for our discussion, I'd like to share with you why Kate and I at the Diversity Network believe diversity matters. Of course, no one would disagree that having a diverse and inclusive workplace is the right thing to do for our employees, our customers and the communities we live in. However, something that's often overlooked are the bottom line benefits of diversity and inclusion. Many of us are familiar with the Kinsey research that compared the performance of businesses that were more diverse in terms of gender and race. And the results were quite startling, showing that businesses with greater uh, racial diversity have around a 35% better financial performance, performance. And businesses that are more gender diverse also outperform those who are not by around 15%. So ultimately, the the research shows that creating a diverse workplace pays off. It drives drives innovation, improves performance and bottom line results too. Despite this, few organisations really succeed in creating a truly diverse workplace. Often it's associated with compliance or new legislation or putting policies in place. In a recent article in the Harvard Business Review, an American lawyer called Vernon Myers sums it up perfectly. She says, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance, which I think gives us a completely different lens through which to look at this important business issue. So, Stuart, welcome to the podcast. I know this is an area that you are personally interested in. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and why DNI is important to you? Thank you. So my name is Stuart Richford. I'm a director and head of uh, Catalyst in Jersey. Uh, Very simply, I'm a management consultant providing uh, advice on strategic issues impacting business performance around operating model technology and increasingly around diversity and the impact on business performance. Um, I particularly became interested in diversity and inclusion really as a consequence of my own experiences of becoming a father. The, the issues of uh, facing uh, parental leave in the Channel Islands. And really, as we move into the change industry, I, I noticed increasingly that we I work in a very male-dominated sector. And so quite simply, I wanted to understand why this was better. Right. That's, uh, that's interesting. And I think many people listening now will be able to kind of echo and, and relate to what you're saying there. Um, I know you've got some thoughts, Stuart, on the gender pay gap, which is obviously really topical at the moment. Um, Can you tell us a bit about what you're observing here? Yeah, thank you. Um, I I think the gender gender pay gap is is quite a controversial and often uh, taboo subject. So I think first off, I think we need to just acknowledge that it's quite disgraceful in 2018, 100 years after the emancipation of women, 43 years after the equal pay for equal uh, work legislation that we still have a 10% gender pay gap in in the United Kingdom. I think we also need to acknowledge that there's many aspects to gender pay imbalance in the Western world, 
many women still face unconscious biases in the hiring process, the promotion process, and we still see many cases of outright discrimination here in Jersey. But despite the continuing issue of the gender pay gap, I think there are many developments that we also need to be proud of. According to the UK's Office of National Statistics, you know, we observe that the gender pay gap has actually almost been eliminated in the 60 to 30 year old um, age bracket. And indeed, recent control studies of white 20 to 30 year old professional persons have concluded the same that gender is no longer a statistically significant determinant of pay in 20-something. So clearly, this is a good start. And, and we'll go on to why the gender pay gap um, yeah, is still an issue. Is still an yes, issue. indeed. You know, I, I, I do agree. I think we are on a journey with this towards equal pay. And we have made, as you point out, we have made some really good progress. But there's still a way to travel. Um, as you say, it's been 43 years since the equal Pay Act, and we still have this issue uh, with many you know, high-profile cases in recent years. Um, you know, what are your thoughts, Stuart, on what some of what might be some of the causes there, and how we might address that? Yeah, again, this is a very, very interesting area, and I, I always move back to 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 official statistics and why this is occurring. Um, and it's, and I think there's research now saying that there are many factors at play. But we particularly observe at around the age of 29, 30, uh, as, as people enter their 30s, as people approach the average age at which um, women have their first child, we encounter a phenomenon that's being, being known as the motherhood penalty or the motherhood trap. So much so that by the time people reach their 40s, the Office of National Statistics tells us that there is a huge difference in the average male-female earnings a staggering 20% pay gap for high earners. We go from no pay gap at 30 to a staggering pay gap at 40. Um, and then we, when we roll this forward into our 50s and we look at FTSE 100 companies, you can Google this. There are more men named John and David on boards than all of the women combined. Clearly, this isn't right. And whilst there are many contributing factors, researchers have started uh, recently proposing that the motherhood penalty should be considered the most statistically significant barrier to ongoing career development in 30 and 40 year old women. That's really interesting that you should um, be able to uh, specify and narrow it down to a particular point in a woman's uh, career that this is happening. Um, and I think something that you know, many of us can relate to. And of course, traditionally, women were the ones to take leave after the birth, you know, to recover after childbirth, take care of the newborn and it often included breastfeeding so of course we can see why um, it was the woman's role but times are changing right uh, absolutely uh, and I think we we must allow people the the opportunity for personal choice we we, we can't be heavy-handed and, and dictate what people what people do but I think it's important that we allow parties the equal opportunity to make decisions that are right for them and and their couple um, and again here, there are some green shoots, particularly in the UK. In 2015, the UK government passed legislation allowing men the option to take shared parental leave, in effect, allowing men to share half of the maternity allowance. Although counterintuitive, I believe this, this represents a dramatic shift in society that will only be appreciated in 10 to 15 years time. 
Basically, this legislation allows men the option to take an equal role in child rearing, setting the expectation that shared child caring responsibilities is both normal and expected. This is already the case in many Nordic countries since about the 1970s. And we observe in the Nordic countries that the gender pay gap is at its lowest and all but eliminated. Right. Yeah, those Nordic countries, uh, they're certainly uh, leading by example. And we, we do have some way to catch up with them. Um, I read recently that um, just about 8,700 new parents, which is less than 10 percent, use the UK's shared parental leave scheme between April 2016 and March 2017, which I think was the first year yeah. after it was um, introduced. Why, why do you think the uptake was so low? I, I think there's a couple of themes here. I think, first of all, it's a new scheme. Um, are people aware of it? Are people aware that they can take this up? I think also we have a very big societal expectation um, that it, it will, it'll take a generation to, to really break. If we look at my, my father's generation, the expectation on, on him and my mum are very different to the expectations on me and my wife. And again, if I look at my children, I hope the expectations on my children and their partners, again, have improved significantly. Um, so I think there's a few things. I think there is a cultural stigma against men taking lengthy amounts of time off to care for children. Um, and I think this is, this is one of the taboos that need to be tackled, particularly if we want our high-performing women to make the career progression they need to in order to take, in order for society to see the take up in female executive leadership that we both want and need. Yeah, uh, uh, I do agree. And I think it's, it's interesting, fascinating that this cultural stigma still exists as, you know, there are so many benefits to men taking extended uh, parental leave. Not only does it give fathers the possibility to build an early connection with a newborn child, and obviously support the mother when she returns from hospital, but it also promotes gender equality and sharing childcare duties. You know, as you say, it's a really good um, example to set for our children and they see dad staying at home um, to help, uh, you know, young, uh, young children, young, young babies. And it enables women to return to work sooner, of course, you know, if they wish. You know, for me, it's a win-win-win. Uh, absolutely. I think it's vital that we encourage more, more men to take up extended parental leave and share the care for lots of reasons. Recent studies of dual income couples have shown that where men take an equal role in childcare, something wonderful happens, that the mother's earnings and lifetime earning potential dramatically increases. And this is particularly true of mothers at the lower and higher uh, ends of the pay scale. Quite naturally, this sharing allows, allows the mum to undertake more paid hours and there is some evidence that without the distractions, these hours are also more productive. Importantly, with equal support, there is a statistically significant increase in the likelihood that, that the woman will make, for example, partner at a law firm or accountancy firm. We can even take this further. You know, numerous studies have shown and demonstrated that the single largest predictor of child's success is actually the presence, uh, a strong presence of the father in their upbringing. Not even a good one. Just a dad. Mm. Um, to, to, to bring it on to a personal note, I was talking to, to one, 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 one chap uh, within Catalyst recently who had just returned from spending six months with his child. 
And I listened to him talk about the positive impact that this time had had on his relationship, not only with his uh, son, but also his wife. Um, you know, and I listened, to be honest, with some envy, as I recalled that 10 years ago, my employer insisted I take a, a day's holiday just to attend my, the, the birth of my second daughter. Um, and I think we should acknowledge that, that, this, that my situation is not uncommon. It was normal and expected that my professional career would continue unhindered by the birth of, uh, by the birth of my children. And, and I believe, you know, until we shake this stigma, this taboo of male caregiving, I think it's going to be a challenge to take the required shift in the uptake of female executive leadership because we simply won't see the throughput into the 40s, into the 50s um, of, of that development. And therefore, I think it's very important that we must include men in the diversity debate and, and the solution itself. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think quite simply, I ask, I ask people to imagine a world where it's not possible to discriminate against a 30-year-old woman because company and society automatically assumes that both people will share the professional cost of child caring equally, or at least allow people the opportunity to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when Kate and I set up the Diversity Network, we took over some important work that had been done by Michelle uh, Johansson and the Women's Development Forum. And we felt that um, in order to really affect change and to be truly inclusive, whether we were talking about equal pay or sharing of responsibilities of care or women in senior leadership roles um, or all the other um, DNI issues, we needed to involve men in the debate. And, you know, that has become a kind of core purpose of, of what we do now to make sure that men and women are uh, involved um, in the debate. Um, moving on to organisations, Stuart, what are your thoughts on um, what businesses can do to foster equality and create workplaces that are really, um, truly diverse and inclusive? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, again, I think this is, a, this is an interesting challenge. I, I think the very, very first step is we must acknowledge that there is a challenge. We don't have legislation in Jersey that, that truly fosters equality. And there are many challenges to uh, take up of technical staff and careers for technical people. We see increasingly um, uh, about the issues around autism, um, women with autism. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that this is, this is a, an early stage um, issue and we're really only truly exploring it for sometimes the first time. Um, so I think first off, we need to acknowledge that there is a challenge. I think, um, secondly, I, I think on, on a personal level, I'm, I'm actually quite proud to work for Catalyst and a business that takes quality, diversity and empowerment really seriously. So we've developed a, and, and run a, several successful programs around women in business, women in finance, women in financial markets. So traditionally male dominated environments and running training courses aiming at uh, empowering women to work in, say, traditionally male-dominated workplaces. Um, we help leading banks and businesses develop alternative career paths for more, for more technically-minded people. The challenge I see, you know, as we walk down the Esplanade, is that in many businesses, we can only really gain promotion by taking on managerial responsibility. Um, and basically, we're forcing technical people to take a job that they're bad at to be promoted. And I just think there's a, there's a, there's a better way. 
I think companies need to look at their policies and procedures, look uh, to diagnose is their unconscious bias in their recruitment and uh, promotion policy. You know, are we disadvantaging the silent majority of which there tends to be more women than men? What are we what are we doing as a business to genuinely foster diversity and inclusion, recruiting people with different skill sets, different talents who may not always fit within, mm. shall we say, what we consider to be the corporate uh, the corporate uh, mentality? Yes, yeah, indeed. And, um, I, you know, I do think it's challenging for businesses. It's a challenging area, especially in Jersey. Um, and it's such a vast area, um, diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, it encompasses many different um, areas, as you've said. Um, however, I do think a good place to start is by understanding what the challenges are for your business. And it will probably look and feel different for, for each business. Um, Correct. You know, and so, you know, if businesses can um, start to identify what are the core issues for them, whether it's part of the hiring process, whether it's about developing, promoting, retaining, engaging, you know, where are you challenged and um, what does the diversity uh, issue look like for you? Um, and then you can begin to tackle it perhaps, you know, piece by piece, bit by bit. Um, Absolutely. And I think, yeah. And I think it's, it's really about um, making this uh, you know, part of everything that you do, uh, a part of all your management practices. It shouldn't be something that is separate to, um, to what you do. It should be really integrated and encompassed in, in everything that you do day by day. And, and ultimately, um, for me, it's about developing the right culture and the right behaviours uh, within the business. Um, so, you know, I'd like to just close by saying thanks so much for joining us today, Stuart. It's been um, great to hear your thoughts uh, and experiences. And, um, and to our listeners, to people that have been listening today, I hope you found this podcast useful. Thanks for tuning in. And if you sign up to our newsletter, um, you'll be able to hear details of future podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for having me.